This podcast contains coarse language, adult themes, and spoilers. My name's Peach, and for the past couple of years, I've been helping my friend Shag overcome his childhood aversions to everyday foods in the podcast Fussy Eater. Now it's his turn to help me conquer my phobia of scary movies over one spooky night in the FBI studios, one Wikipedia synopsis at a time. This is Spooko. So now that everyone on LinkedIn and every social media provider is a mentor of some kind <laughs> and, and a mentee, right? We are all mentors and we're all mentees. Uh, and it strikes me there's a supply and demand problem where high-quality mentors versus excited mentees, it's always likely there are going to be more excited mentees around uh, than there will be quality mentors to mentor them. Uh, and um, a sort of like business friend slash person of mine who put a book out recently named Ian Whitworth, book's called Undisruptible. Go buy the book Undisruptible and not the other book Undisruptible that was released the same week. So buy the one Ian wrote. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he has this great idea of anti-mentoring, right? So he's like, look, if you can't find a good mentor, find some people who you think are shit and avoid being like them which I actually think is pretty good advice because you can find, like, especially in law, you can find lots of shit idiots around the place. That's also a classic uh, brainstorming technique. It's like, is don't it? think of a good idea. Think of an idea that's going to get you fired and then turn that idea into a good idea. Well, it's funny you should use that as a brainstorming analogy, Shag, because Spooko Studios is back in effect. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got some anti-mentoring, anti-brainstorming for you that'll hopefully just plant the seeds of a good idea. Right? It's a buddy horror comedy. Right? <laughs> it's a buddy horror comedy. Right? <laughs> Our buddies are... A young, slightly disillusioned, uh, recently minted lawyer living in inner western Sydney and a sort of community-minded, maybe like coffee stall owner or like very small sandwich shop or some sort of commercial venture that is not high margin but is high touch, like a sort of artisan but low-cost low good artisan, you're making coffees, making sandwiches, something like that, you know, a pillar of the community. The lawyer's going to be played by Nick Loopy from Spit Syndicate, mm-hmm. and the community-minded artisan's going to be played by Jimmy Nice. Real-life <laughs> friends are being cast in this buddy horror comedy. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step in. I'm just hoping that mm. you've done your due diligence or whatever mm. you call it, your double D in mm. legal DD, terms, yeah, your yeah. DD. Because as all all buddy comedies, mm. minus the horror element, mm. need the buddies thrown together in some sort of adverse circumstances. They can't just be friends. They have to be like, well, they're roommates, or they one was the Uber driver or something like that. They both became new fathers at around the same time. Oh no, sorry. They've been they've been friends for twenty years and they came up from from in the graffiti scene. Right. right? Okay. So they're okay. not gonna have to do much acting. No, okay. like so so, so, so so give me another sixty to ninety seconds. Like I've got I've got I've got more. All right, okay, right? I'm here. I'm here. The tension is the relationship with the respective children that is becoming increasingly distant. They're not especially old, but there's essentially the trope of spooky kid strange distance that kicks off the film. 
in the background is um, a past as graffiti writers where the Nick character is now less present because he's practicing law and he needs to look after his practicing certificate. And Jimmy, who's sort of more community-minded and while a capitalist in the literal sense, he's very much an artisanal capitalist. He's very much hand-to-hand combat, lots of bartering going on with Jimmy, that sort of thing. He's very comfortable still being a part of the graffiti scene, which, as you know, is all about contested space. And wherever we're going to set it in or around Sydney, of course, is going to be the location of, um, you know, unceded land. Always was, always will be the land of the first peoples of this country, completely unceded and invaded. And essentially the, and we're going to have to manage this very carefully with lots of consultants, but essentially the tension or the... um challenge faced is uh, the sort of supernatural embodiment of what is the legacy of invaders if they stay put and tramp down on the space that was inhabited by the first peoples and so Jimmy and Nick's characters because they're also about contested space they're also about fighting like control and fighting authority in relation to the graffiti writing element, in relation to Nick's disillusionment with the law, they'll have quite a complex relationship. And as their sort of friendship is kind of tested and the relationships with the children get closer and more distant, they're also going to be asked questions about what authorities you fight, um, what authorities you make compromises with, and what is the nature of being an invader or not, and how do you make peace with that? And it's called... It's called... <laughs> I, I, okay, tell me the title, and then I'll give you my first thoughts. <laughs> the name's the worst bit, okay? The name's the best bit of anti-mentoring I've got. Shag, it's called Terra Nullius, <laughs> but it's spelled T-E-R-R-O-R, Terra Nullius. Peach, like... Most horror movies are like a guy with knives for fingers terrorizes some teens in their dreams. Like mm. they have a synopsis that you can sum up in a sentence and you get it straight away. I have no fucking idea what happened to Terranolis. I'm all on board with all of your themes. I love the people you've picked. I it sounds like a gentle BBC drama more than it does a horror buddy comedy. I don't know where the horror comes in. I don't know where the buddiness comes. Like, I'm just... I thought you'd do most of that. I feel like <laughs> I've done my... <laughs> I feel like I've done my bit. <laughs> With that in mind... Yes. Today's film mm. covers similar ground and is mm. one of those films where I'm going to talk you through my journey with watching this film because Mm. I gave up halfway through, then I read the Wikipedia and then I was like, oh, no, fuck, I've got to watch the rest of this. And then I watched it and I was like, oh, maybe I didn't need to watch the rest of this. (laughs) One of these films where the themes are great, the ideas are great, Mm. and I think is actually relatively spooko in the telling, but Mm. I, I look, We'll talk about it today. Uh, we're doing a very recent... Very Terra Nullius kind of film, it, it sounds It's like. basically Terra Nullius. Uh, today we're doing a film from... I'm just going to work out what it's from. Hang on. Give me one second. If you've forgotten what it's called, that's super awkward. 
<laughs> I know I haven't. I've just, I've just made all my screens really small and now it's really fucking hard <laughs> to repeat everything. Today we're doing a historical horror thriller starring Janelle Monet of all people, called Antebellum. Sick. She is. Guess what? Daddy is going to get you dressed for school today. We are descendants of the gods. This land was always ours. But we must never relent. We're nowhere and everywhere. You're from Virginia, right? I can tell. You're special. We are the future. You. You're not like the others. I'm coming! Whoever you were before, that's over. 911, what is your emergency? Ugh. It, I just, I would just sit down and watch previews forever. I cannot wait to find out what this is about. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh. So. Everything about this film seems good, right? Yes, you know, it contemporary really does. woke horror. Janelle Monae starring in it, like spicy name, spicy design, great trailer, and yet all of the reviews were pretty bad, including all the audience score reviews. And it's just the power of good marketing and you know a good team is that I was like, you know what? I'm going to buck the trend. I'm going to watch this and I'm going to be the one who sees the quality of Antebellum for what it really is. Even though you've said all that to me, which is like heaps of people didn't like it and you're saying you got bored, I'm sitting here being like, <laughs> no way. <laughs> I will discover the gym. This will be the... <laughs> I was just going to say, this will be the 1996 Weezer album, the name of which just uh, jumps out of my mind for, uh, for, for a moment, but we'll figure it out. A big part of Spooko is not just me trying to get you through your fear of scary movies, but also impress on you the qualities of scary movies as a genre. And the thing we always talk about is the fact that scary movies do things in plots that no one else does. And this is one of those films, which I'm really excited. So this is the reason why I'm excited to tell you about. And to be honest, I think it's going to sound a lot better via this Wikipedia synopsis <laughs> than it is to watch. I think you'll modulate your energy well as well because you'll be like, okay, let's just skate over this boring. <laughs> you know, like, I think you'll, I, think, like, I trust myself in your hands, Jack. You'll curate this experience for me better than obviously the director and editor of this film did. So, Peach, you are a scholar. You went to university. One mm -hmm. of the things mm -hmm. you studied was history. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, you know, you've said in the past, which I found quite controversial, that history mm. is meaningless. It doesn't, it doesn't exist. All mm. of it's made up, basically. Mm. Yes. Is there a phenomena, is there a word for the phenomena, or is there an accepted phenomena in history where people who are the descendants of really fucked up things, like slavery, or in our case, mm. like colonialism, 
try to go back and be like, you know what? It wasn't as bad as everyone says. And actually, when I think about it, everybody kind of won in that. Is is there a, is there a, is that a thing that exists in history? Yes, it's called um, white blindfold history. So the tension in Australia was black armband history, which is to say an acknowledgement that, well, in fact, you know, it's it's a it's a fight against the concept of terra nullius, among other things, an acknowledgement that there were frontier wars, frontier battles in Australia. So a black armband view of history versus what's what's known as a white blindfold view of history that was um, proponent of which was Keith Windshuttle. And um, funny thing is, I studied law with someone who had the same surname, and I was like, oh man, really funny story. I studied history before I did law. And your surname, there's this guy who's a fucking, like, he's a bit of a fucking kid. And it turned out it was his son that I was speaking to. And I was like, uh, <laughs> oh, Pete, good work. <laughs> good work, buddy. But he might come into t- Terra Nullius. He might star in it as a way to get back at his dad, but we'll see. We'll ask him. So, you know, that's definitely been... I, I, like I've noticed it as a force in culture, this idea of like white blindfold, black armband history, mm. you know, across cultural perceptions of history. People mm. trying to be like, you know, colonialism wasn't that bad and yeah, Captain Cook was a good guy and all that sort of stuff, right? But it's also insidious, like, and I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to linger on it. You have like historical fiction and a good example of, a, um, of it is the Baz Luhrmann film Australia where like the, Nicole, the fictional Nicole Kidman character is also, is actually really nice and fights racism. And it's like, well, like, what what value is it making up a fictional character who didn't do, like, it didn't exist, and so didn't do those things? <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's like the only possible reason for putting that character in there is to make white people feel better about a horrific, violent past. Yeah, so anyway. Anyway, we'll fix these problems with this film, I'm sure. Well, no, because of that phenomena, I've noticed mm. a trend of films set in these eras mm. that try to be as explicit and disturbing as possible, almost to be like, no, it was this bad. And, you know, there's the argument that we shouldn't have to watch these things, but I believe mm. the argument that the filmmakers would make is like, if I don't show these things, people mm. will pretend they don't exist. This is the yep. only way. And I think that's the argument for The Nightingale, even though famously, and again, everybody should watch The Nightingale. Every Australian should be forced Oof. to watch The Nightingale, yes. even though that first half hour is so tough that when they screened it at the Sydney Film Festival, a woman stood up and said, hasn't she been raped enough and left the cinema? Like mm. that is that yeah. is a thing that happened during the, during the first screening in Sydney of Jennifer Kent's Nightingale. But all of that, regardless, there is an argument that you need to show historical atrocities so people actually accept that they happened. Anyway, that, I think, would be the argument that the, the makers, uh, Gerard Bush and Christopher Renz of Antebellum, would make because the film sort of starts that way. Now, before we go there, I didn't actually know what the word Antebellum meant. I'm an Australian. It's a word that doesn't mean that much to me. I've, I've since realized that it's become the name for a period of time, antebellum literally meaning pre-war. So it's the time before the, the Civil War in America when slavery was... I think they, they'd stopped. No more slaves were coming into America, but like the, the South was just really going hard on its slave economy. And so it, it, it was an awful time to be a black American, but at the same time, it's since become a way to describe a style of architecture and a style of food or something. And I think a big part of this film is like, no, antebellum was a fuck time and I need to show you how bad it was. Mm. 
just look, just as a footnote here, um, on a similar vein to what we were talking about before, and indeed the antebellum period, but but the early part of it, we've mentioned Hamilton in part in passing and haven't been universally negative about it. Let's just go on the record as anti <laughs> as anti Hamilton. <laughs> like, there was just this great criticism I saw recently of like, how about we have like a musical that just doesn't celebrate slave owners? Like, is that, <laughs> is that <laughs> do you reckon we could have one where slave owners weren't the hero? Do you think? <laughs> Because, like, it's almost the Nicole Kidman in Australia character where Hamilton's like, oh, slavery sucks, but oh, don't worry. There'll be a civil war in a few decades and that'll sort it all out. But And, and it comes know. down to nuance, right? Because <laughs> yeah. I don't believe you should cancel someone for a tweet they make as a 15-year-old. Mm. If they own slaves, I feel like you should cancel them. <laughs> <laughs> Do you see what I mean? Oh, There's... everyone was owning slaves. Oh. <laughs> all right. oh, what were we meant to do? So, Antebellum from 2020 mm. starts with this long, unbroken shot that is fucking hard to watch, mm. right? So, mm. it sets up that we're... And I'm, I'm reading the Wikipedia synopsis. I'm just going to... I'm going to pepper some of these things in. I'm not going to say everything. I'm just going to say it's a mm. very difficult opening shot of a film to watch. It goes for a couple of minutes. Mm. It goes into a plantation. It goes past Confederate soldiers. And then we see... Slaves being, and I don't mean that word terribly, it's like they were slaves, Mm. um, being treated terribly, including, you know, wearing an apparatus around, you know, heads. Uh, Like, it's just too much. It was just too much. And even then I was like, wow, like, I I don't know if it's cool that they make a film like this. I don't know, like, I don't know how I feel about watching this. That is a very interesting point, isn't it? To be like, uh... And, and you're I think doing I, it to show that it was awful, but it's like you're doing, you know, you're and, doing it. And I think it's that tough thing because it's like I've seen people being ripped apart by hooks in their skin in Hellraiser, but there's just something about, mm. you know, the history and the present time that just made it so difficult to watch. So anyway, we we eventually find out that there's a slave plantation. It's since been overtaken by Confederate soldiers, and they make a point to be like, any good life you had here before is gone. You are now owned by us. You work till you die. You're not allowed to speak until you're spoken to. You're going to be... Like, you're going to be beaten up if you do anything wrong. And if you try to escape, we burn you alive in a crematorium. And... It's just like, and this is this is all within the first 15, 20 minutes, and it's just, mm. it's just really rough to watch. So after a failed escape attempt, a black man named Eli watches as his wife is murdered and her body placed in the crematorium. A woman who had been assisting them is later brutally beaten and branded, okay, mm. branded by the general until she submits to a new name that's Eden. So her new name has to be Eden, and she's basically beaten and eventually branded. And, like, we, we watched this take place over a scene of a couple of minutes until she submits. And it's just, you know, that, that opening scene and then this scene, I was just getting to a point where I'm like, I'm finding this really hard to watch. A group of new slaves is brought to the plantation. Among them is a pregnant woman whom the general's daughter, Elizabeth, names Julia and places in the care of Eden. Now, Elizabeth is played by Jenna Malone. I'm going to take a step out and say that Jenna Malone is another Chloe Grace Moretz. You see her face, you'll be like, Jenna Malone, of course. Jenna Love Malone, her. Right. You will not be able to name a single film she's in. Jenna Malone, she is cool. Great actor. Yes, cool. All right, I've seen her. She seems cool. She's that a classic cool. Chloe Grace Moretz. Chloe Grace Moretz. Like, she's everyone real, knows... You, you know Jenna she's Malone. She's a real CGM. She's That's a real CGM. 
Okay, so a new group of slaves is brought to the plantation and that's when we learn a bit more about the plantation and all the rules and, you know, the, the Confederate soldiers. They do. You know what I do like about this film? The Confederate soldiers are all dressed really sloppily. Like, I imagine, you know how, like, in a lot of historical fiction, and especially British historical fiction, where they really idolise the uniforms of the day and everyone just looks really fucking sharp and everything's pressed and stuff. I'm guessing in, like, the 18th century, presses and irons and stuff, especially for foot soldiers, were hard to come by. The The uniforms were already brown. They would have looked sloppy, and they really do. These guys are not at peak fitness they look a bit sloppy and their uniforms and it, it's, it's mm. good, right? Like I like that. It felt like such a nice touch. And mm. you get that while these awful soldiers are basically telling the slaves that they're lesser than them and they're just going to have to submit to their will because that's what God wants. Okay. Now among them is a pregnant woman who the general's daughter, Elizabeth names Julia and places in the care of Eden. Now, Julia asks Eden to plan an escape. It's even kind of fucked in the Wikipedia synopsis that we're now referring to them as Julia and Eden and not their real names. Yeah, yeah. in fact, that is fucked. That is actually kind of fucked. But anyway, like, this is, this is how it's written. I'm just going to go yeah. as it did. So Julia asks Eden to plan an escape um, with her, and Eden's basically like, you can't fucking talk to me. Like, you don't know how bad this is. I've been fucking branded. We will try to escape, but we're going to have to find the right time. You can't like you can't just come in and expect things to be like the way they were before. And they keep talking about the way things were before. So that evening, during a dinner where Julia and Eden are forced to wait on soldiers in the army, and they do this big speech about how like God favors white people and America is the land of white people. And it's it's also it's it's funny hearing speeches like that and there being no mention of the indigenous inhabitants of America either. Like, you know, what's like, it's funny, like at that level, it's like white people, not black people. And it's like, hang on, are you talking about like, it's crazy the way that they talk about this. And it's probably an obvious speech. Like a lot of the criticisms of this film and you'll see are like, it's very blatant about what it wants to say. But It's very the the platform. It's very the platform. But then horror is not a subtle genre and it doesn't need to be a subtle genre. So, yes, there's a big dinner. General gives a speech. Julia and Eden are waiting on the soldiers. A shy Confederate soldier named Daniel is attracted to Julia and arranges to go to her cabin later. And when we say arranges, the soldiers are like, you're going to go to his cabin. And anyway, so he goes into the cabin. She tries to play to his kindness and is like, you're not like these. Uh, like, And he's really shy and he's like, oh, I don't know why I'm here. They forced me to get here. She's basically like, I know you're not like this. I know you're a good person. You can help me escape. And then he's basically like, are you saying I'm not a man? Who told you to speak? Then, and and again, I'm going to say this. I'm sorry. This is in the Wikipedia synopsis. He beats her for speaking to him, causing her to miscarry. Like it's just, like Mm -hmm. I I said, right? Mm -hmm. And and we are very, we are, we are only a small portion of the way into this film. Mm -hmm. So later... Eden is in the cabin with the general where he's raped her and the implication is he does this often and when he doesn't, he keeps her chained up into, in the cabin. Like, it's just, like, it's, it, it, couldn't be, it couldn't be more horrific. At this point, okay, at this point, I need to explain that I turned off the movie. I was like, I don't, I don't need to watch this. This is too much and I don't see how this is a horror movie. It was described as a horror movie. I don't get it, like... Why am I watching this? I, I get what they're trying to do. 
And so that's when I started reading the Wikipedia synopsis. And it's mm. crazy that I stopped here. So get this. This is the next line in this Wikipedia yeah. synopsis. And it's not, it's in the same sentence. So after being raped by the general in her cabin, Eden hears a ringing cell phone. So now we're in the modern era, a cell phone rings and it, it's like a cut, awakening Eden who is actually a renowned sociologist named Dr. Veronica Henley in a whole other life. She's in bed with a partner. They've got a kid. This bit is a bit overplayed because she's like a perfect person. Like, she's an outspoken rights activist who is able to get on Fox News and shout everyone down. And, you know, like, is like super respected, is an author. Everyone loves them. And it's a little bit of a fantasy rather than how... You know, yeah. how, like, you know, because, because we know being a rights activist is actually really difficult and there's so mm. much pushback both within your communities and outside. Yeah. So it is a bit of a, like, a fantastical way of how that yeah, would exist in real life. But rights, that's her Rights activist uh, ex marketer. It's like, yeah, it's like everyone agrees. Everyone agrees and loves her and, like, <laughs> she can shut down Fox News in, like, one pithy comment. Also, I love the idea of being like an outsider rights activist who everyone likes. Like the, <laughs> the very fact of activism is that what you're saying is unpopular yeah. and unpalatable. Yeah, to it's most like people. it's like everyone's like, yeah, we agree. <laughs> <laughs> it's like being an activist for chocolate. It's like being like, guys, I think it's time. Really good, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I think we've. It's time we. It's time we face back that it's delicious. We want to be on the right side of confectionery history. (laughs) Guys, it's it's really delicious. (laughs) It goes with everything. All right, all right. I'm gonna shut up. Look inside yourselves. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but that's that's what she is in this world. Like, it is a Mm. very. It it is heavy handed in what it wants to say. But I want to get to the end of this film because it it does go in some really cool places. So she's preparing to take a trip to speak and promote her book which is particularly hard for her because she has to leave her loving husband, Nick, and her daughter, Kennedy. She has a bizarre online meeting with Elizabeth. Now, remember, Elizabeth is Jenna Malone, who's now playing this character where she's a corporate headhunter. Okay, he's like, hey, hey, darling. Yeah, she's like... a new job? Hey, well, what's up? Are we going to join the new corporate seller? But it's also, like, grossly, insidiously racist in the way where it's like, oh, wow, that, you know, lipstick colour really suits your skin tone. And, like, mm. it's it's all just, like, her character is just slimy it's and gross. Full of microaggressions of, yeah. like, oh, I wish I could touch your hair. Sort yeah, of. it's stuff like yeah, that, okay. right? Yeah, okay. So... She's like, that was a bit weird, but she dismisses it and just cuts the meeting short and is like, I don't have time for this. I don't need to be headhunted. I'm already the world's most popular activist. (laughs) (laughs) So while in Louisiana on her book tour, she meets her friends Dawn and Sarah and agrees to go to dinner with them at a local restaurant. Now, again, there's moments at the restaurant where they're like, oh, are you sure this booking's for you? And they're like, yeah, of course it's for us. And they're like, do you want us to order you the cheap thing on the menu? Like... They go very hard to be like, and it's, you know, these are things that happen, but it's very, it's very blatant about like every interaction she has in the world is drawing to light the insidious racism that underpins, you know, the black experience in America. I love a small business being like, oh, let's sell you the cheap thing. That'll be... <laughs> it's like, yeah, cool. That, wouldn't have, that literally would never happen. <laughs> <laughs> so in the meantime, Elizabeth sneaks into her hotel room and steals her lipstick. Sneaks into... Oh, sorry. Uh, um, Elizabeth, the corporate headhunter. The corporate headhunter breaks into her hotel room. So has followed her on this book tour somehow 
and breaks into this uh, and breaks into to steal her lipstick. Intending to go home back home early in the morning, Veronica leaves the restaurant in what she believes is her Uber ride, but is actually a car mm. driven by Elizabeth. Elizabeth's husband Jasper knocks Veronica out. Okay. At the plantation, Veronica discovers that Julia has hanged herself. Enraged, she tells Eli that they will escape that night. After being raped by the general again, and it's like it's that it's that comment from the Sydney Film Festival. Nightingale, yeah, Nightingale, how many like, times she been raped yeah. enough? It's kind of like that, right? Uh, after being raped by the general again the following evening, she once again sneaks out of her cabin and steals the general's phone. Before she can call for help, <laughs> like so sorry. So what's the time? So, so is it wait, time travel? Wait, or? wait, yeah, okay. wait, wait. Okay. So that's the thing, right? They do a really good job. Like it's well filmed. It's well shot. And yes, you can kind of guess where this is going, but they really don't give it away early. So it's not the village. It's the M. Night Shyamalan's The Village is where I'm at. I mean, let's let's see what happens, right? Yeah, okay. So I love that you're more generous to this film than like every <laughs> other critic <laughs> or the movie-going public apparently was. So before she can call for help, she's interrupted by an intoxicated Daniel and his friend who find the phone, but are not suspicious, believing it dropped out of the general's bag. Which is interesting, that they're not like, what the hell is this crazy contraption? When he is alone, Eli kills Daniel with a hatchet and retrieves the cell phone. As the phone can only be unlocked with facial recognition, Veronica goes back to the cabin to find the general and is surprised to find he is awake. The general attacks both of them and Eli is subsequently killed, trying to protect Veronica. She stabs the general with his own bayonet and unlocks the phone, then uses GPS to send her location to her husband. Intending to hide the general in the crematorium, she is interrupted by Jasper. Veronica lures him. Who's Jasper again? Sorry, I'm, I'm trying to remember who Jasper is. Hang on. So I don't know if the, like that's a dog name to me. Ruff, Ruff, what are you doing with the general? Uh, Elizabeth's husband. So, so that is the the so husband c- of the. He's basically the plantation. The corporate plantation. Yeah. The so the corporate headhunter is Elizabeth. It's Jasper who is now role playing as a Confederate soldier. Okay. Veronica lures him and another guard into the crematorium and sets fire to it, leaving the three men to burn to death as she steals the general's horse and rides off. Now, what's really interesting about this moment is that, and it's funny that we've gone back to, we now don't call her Eden, we call her Veronica again, So, which I think is a nice touch in mm. this Wikipedia synopsis. But what is a really interesting moment that is left out of this and that I really like, and next episode I'll explain why this moment isn't in this Wikipedia synopsis. Yeah, it is. There's a quote from uh, one of the guards who's dying and he says, you can't stop us. We're everywhere and nowhere, which is like such a chilling thing to say, right? Yes. So Elizabeth pursues Veronica on horseback and reveals that she handpicked every slave on the plantation except for Veronica, whom she kidnapped at her father's insistence. Veronica knocks Elizabeth off her horse, puts a rope around her neck, dragging her until she hits the base of a Robert E. Lee statue, thereby breaking her neck. Not subtle symbolism. Finally, Veronica flees the pursuing soldiers in the chaos of battle, revealing that the so-called plantation is actually part of a Civil War reenactment park called Antebellum, owned by Senator Blake Denton, who is posing as the general. Denton and his comrades intended to use the park to recreate an environment to bring back the slavery days using African victims, who are real people they kidnapped you know from the world 
Veronica finally escapes as the police and a number of tourists arrive taking photos of her. You've got to understand, as I'm watching it, I'm just like, there's going to be some spooky ghosts, but I'm going to have to watch a lot of horrible slavery stuff. But the fact that it's a modern day plantation hiding in plain sight where they're kidnapping people off the street and being like, no, this is where you belong. Like, it's not a subtle message, but is pretty, is a pretty impactful thing to say as a film. I feel like it's the Furies again, um, but a marginally sharper political message. Uh, I just feel like it's such a first thought idea. Like, like there's just no subtlety there at all. It's like, what if there were some really racist people? (laughs) And there are, like, we don't get as well. Yeah, no, no, sorry, yes. And it's like, that's sort of like, what would they like to do if they were racist? Whew. (laughs) <laughs> and, and then that's the film, you, you know, and 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 uh, like I find that to be a really um, a real disappointment, a real sort of half conceived, underthought, over egged letdown. Whose politics, obviously, we agree with without reservation. Are excited. There are films being made that say things like this, which is extremely good. I just wish they were more enjoyable. Yeah, there's a moment at the start of Drag Race Australia. Where and it sucks that the one <laughs> Aboriginal <What>? contestant, <laughs> but the one Aboriginal contestant is kicked off in the first week. They do their runway, they show off mm. their looks, and she shows this awesome coat that has always was, always will be on the back. Mm. And Michelle, who is the Simon Cowell of uh, Drag Race, is basically like, "The message is important. I'm with you there, but the execution is sloppy." and the message is great, but you need good execution to deliver it. And I think that is kind of your argument there, which is kind oh, of... No, but hearing it come out of your mouth, that's like colonizer thinking again of like, no, no. Mm. You're like farming, Ooh. you know, to take to take, to take the example of agriculture, farming's only right the way we do it. The way you do it is, yeah. oh, pr- like primitive, like no farming. Only we know the right way to do farming. And then similarly... The way to deliver a message like that, oh, good like good on you for having the message, but mm, only we know how to deliver the message properly and you need to deliver it the way we like. Oh, yeah, like, oof. Yeah, okay, maybe I withdraw my criticism. Maybe it's actually not for me to comment on what is the best way to express the impossible and profound injustice of slavery in the US. Shag, is this a better film than we gave it credit for? Have Have we come around... To actually getting a better read on this film than all those disappointed critics. I mean, we look, I, I thought it was worth talking about, and I mean, if you're going to put it in, if you're not, if you're not just, if you're not going to put it up against all film, but just horror films, mm. and that's a genre that includes dread. I think you can say, <laughs> I think you can say, it's a good film. You heard it here first, literally. Uh, this was recorded at FBI Studios. Please like, subscribe and follow wherever you can and as much as you can. And Resh's, what's up?